give a word of appreciation to our uh, worship team this morning and what they bring. You know, and, and, and we, we do that often, but there are things that um, you, you really can only teach through repetitive use, all right? Um, there, there's things that it's like, the, it, it's how you pass on values by, by doing stuff consistently, like praying before a meal, all right? Um, I, I mean, I've tried using that prayer before the meal to ask God if he would take away all the fats so that it might be a diet kind of thing. That doesn't work, but it do, what does work is being able to show my kids that it's like, you know what? We trust God. Um, it's part of why, again, like, like just a, a church worship service is important, all right? That it's like, it's, it's a way of displaying to those who, who, who you value what you value. That, that for a son and a daughter to see a mom and a dad who would, on a regular basis, get up when they don't have to and come to a place and um, be in the presence of God. I mean, that communicates something, but it won't communicate it on just one Sunday. But a, but a lifetime of Sundays, they'll sit there and say, you know what, my mom, my dad, they valued God. And, and hopefully they'll pick that up on their own. But there's some things you can only teach through just being, by being consistent and, and doing it over and over again. So we're going to say thank you um, here as often as we can. And so this morning I say thank you to those who come. They come up here early on a Sunday morning and work hard and they give their talents. And, um, and, uh, and that's one of the things. We're going to teach this, uh, our, our body that uh, we value being appreciative and saying thank you to folks. And um, that's, that's part of it. Um, one of the other things that it's just, it's got, it's God's place for this church. In the midst of all the churches in this whole Dallas area, um, one of our very specific places is this is a place where everybody has a name, everybody has a story. When you are absent, people will notice because you are important. A lot of places you just come in like a movie theater and you find your seat and it's like, oh man, somebody's sitting next to me. And it's like, oh, I don't have the armrest. You know, that's not here. Um, we're gonna, we we want to give the best Bible teaching and the best music that we have, but this is not a place to come if you're looking for a show, all right? There are, there are better um, Sunday morning shows out there, um, but we want to offer something that's very different. And again, that's one of the things. That's why if you're visiting with us today and we spent five minutes shaking hands and you're sitting there going, gosh, that's awkward for a long time. The reason why is we value relationships here. We want to give space and time for people to learn each other's names, learn a little bit about each other. There's, there's only, you can't go really deep in five minutes, um, but it's why we spend that time here. Um, Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. All right? Jesus was not sentimental. He didn't just love the idea of people. He loved people. Knew their names, where they came from. That's what we're trying to be like here, all right? So we give a full five minutes to that meet and greet. A little bit awkward, especially if you're an introvert like me, and you just kind of like your space. But you know what? If Jesus says I'm supposed to love people, then I'm getting out of my comfort zone, and I hope you'll follow me in doing the same thing too, okay? Um, But those are things that we do, and we're going to do them on a regular basis, and you can only teach those sort of values by consistently doing them, all right? Um, One of the other things we're doing, because relationships are important, every Wednesday... We just pick a place to eat, and everybody's invited to come eat. 
Now, every, no, we've not had a Wednesday where everybody has come, all right? I don't expect that. I do have some folks that they never, ever miss. They're asking me, where are we eating this week? Where are we eating this week? Howard, is, I see his pen coming out. He's writing it down. He doesn't miss. Uh, and he loves that time of relationship, okay? So, so it has been recommended to me, this place called Rockfish. It's just down the way here on Park, just across Preston Road. And those of you who are always there every Wednesday, I'll see you. And those, some of you will be a surprise to me. Had a surprise this past week. Got to know Debbie. And, um, and uh, anyway, it's always open. And want you to come in and an opportunity to build relationships. I'll be there at 1130. And I just hang out until there's nobody left to hang out with. So um, everyone's invited, okay? Rockfish this week down on Park. So we are doing a study uh, entitled Fallen Heroes. We're looking at heroes in the Bible not at what they did right or why they're heroic, but what they did wrong. And I, I really enjoy this, and it's a, just a great lesson. You see it over and over in the Bible. God uses broken people, and, he, and, he, and he's okay with our mess-ups. Your, your flaws are not always fatal. And, and there is, we, we have a God who loves doing works of redemption, and that's what he does. And he uses all kinds of people. Now, today I want to tell you the story of probably my favorite hero in the old testament he's my favorite because not a whole lot of people know his his story um the story of jephthah all right see none of you are like oh yeah i know much of you're like i don't know this the story of jephthah it's found in the book of judges i love the story of jephthah because again i'm gonna get to tell you stuff that you're probably unfamiliar with the other reason that i love his story is that because his story forces me to wrestle with some things like things that are it's like things that like what is important to God and why his story will force you to wrestle with some of that all right so let's uh, let me introduce you to Jephthah his book is his his story is found in the book of judges in the chapter 11 is where his name is first mentioned but his story actually really begins in chapter 10 of the book of judges now, the first thing you need to know about this guy named Jephthah is that Jephthah was a man of his times, and times were not good. Judges chapter 10, verse 6, it says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him again. Again they did evil in the sight of the Lord. This was not the first time. When it's the first time, all right, you can sit there and you can think, ah, that was just a mistake. They didn't know any better. This was just a one-off. But this wasn't the first time that they had forgotten God. This wasn't the first time that they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, that phrase, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, in the book of Judges, this is the sixth time that it occurs, all right? This, This is the sixth time that the people have done evil in the sight of the Lord, all right? In the book of Judges, you see this, um, this, this cycle, this negative cycle where, um, where they would, the people would fall away from God, that God would, would bring them judgment, usually in the form of war. They would regret what's going on. They would ask for a deliverance. There would be prayers, and then God would raise up a hero for them and, and would rescue them, and then the cycle begins again, all right? So falling away, Judgment, regret and prayers, rescue. 
And it's this cycle over and over again in the book of Judges. And it gets worse and worse every time. Um, Begs the question, why did the Israelites again turn their back on God? Like, why, why were they constantly tempted to worship these foreign uh, gods? What, what was it about these other gods that made them want to do that? Well, I think part of it is because um, as a nation, they had not a, developed an identity um, where the relationship with God was part of who they were. Right? If you know their story, they had been slaves in Egypt. Right? Hundreds and hundreds of years, slaves in Egypt. Right? They, they served the gods of Egypt while they said they belonged to the God of Abraham. Right? They were slaves. Then Moses shows up. And God uses him, and God does what God does, and he rescues them, and he delivers them. And they go from being slaves to now they are nomads wandering in the wilderness. All right? Then, after Moses leads them for a while, they come to the promised land. Joshua brings them into the promised land, and they have to go from being nomads to being warriors. They conquer the land as much as they could. They didn't complete the conquest. That's part of their problem. But they had been warriors. Now that they have the land, now they have to cultivate it and they have to become farmers. So you have these folks. They were nomads or they, they were slaves. They became nomads who became warriors who are now farmers. What does a, what does a former slave nomad warrior know about farming? And they said, there, what do we got to do? Well, we took this land from the Ammonites. We took this this land from the, uh, from the people of Moab, the, the people of Syria, they're, they're farming. What do they do? Well, they worship this God who sends them rain or brings them seed or whatever. So, well, we ought to do that too. And they were constantly getting baited into um, worshiping um, them. They, uh, let's, say, let's just be on the safe side. We better worship the gods of Moab and the gods of the Amnites and any other God that might help us. Let's just uh, do whatever we got to do um, to to, to to take care of ourselves. That's what they kept doing. And in verse 6 it says again. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped the Baals. The Ashtaroth. The gods of Syria. The gods of Sidon. The gods of Moab. The gods of the Ammonites. The gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines. And into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim so that Israel was severely distressed. All right? they, are, they are a bunch of tribes. All right? They're not together as one nation. And this group, the Ammonites, are causing trouble for three of the tribes. All right? So this is a widespread problem. And for 18 years they're having a problem with this. The, uh, they finally, after 18 years, they figure out, you know what? The reason that we are struggling is because we don't honor God. We, we, we chase after every other God, and they, they pray. And they send their regrets up to God. Oh, we're so sorry that, that we're in this place. God, help us. We're, we're sorry for that. They send their regrets up to God, and you know what God does? He sends their regrets right back to them. Look at verse 14. God says, Go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. So you really want to trust them to provide for you? Go ask them to save you. You see, regret is not the same thing as repentance. Regret is discovering that your deeds have a consequence. 
you regret, you can regret something and have no intention of changing how you live. I mean, I know a lot of people regret that the, the debt that they live with. They regret that it is hard to pay for things now because of what they bought back then. It's regrettable when a person can't buy a needed home or a vehicle today because they bought a bunch of burritos at Taco Bell in 2015 and they put it on a credit card and now that $3 burrito has become a $14 burrito. Right? That's regrettable. Regret won't get you what you need today. It won't make things better for tomorrow. But repentance means that you've made a change and it opens you to God's deliverance. Like, like if debt is something you struggle with, you just can't keep going. You're not going to have more debt to get yourself out of debt. All right? that, that's kind of nonsense. All right? So don't regret things, but, but, but look at how, what does God say about how we deal with money? You know, God has teachings for us on that. We don't have to follow the patterns of this world um, regarding money. Um, God's got a way, and his way works. Um, So God gives them back their regrets, and the people finally move from regret to repentance. And in verse 15, the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away their foreign gods from among them, and serve the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Meaning that God did not take long to send them rescue. God was impatient. He wanted to help them. And he gives them Jephthah. Jephthah. Now, again, he is a man who's formed from his times, but the times are not good. In fact, all leaders that God uses are formed by their, their times. All right? Um, it's, it, you, you can't help it. Um, God uses people who, are, who tend to be unique and formed by their own times and background. Now, because of where Jephthah came from, Jephthah was a mighty warrior. In chapter 11, verse 1, that's the first thing it tells us. It says, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Now, Gilead, he was a leader. And he was a guy, he had a one-night stand with a prostitute, and she became pregnant. And so he took the son into his home, but he did not take the prostitute mother into his home. He had a wife, and she bore him other sons, all right? And I'm sure that the presence of Jephthah was a constant reminder of her husband's infidelity. And she, she didn't, she, like, it was, he was probably hard for her to love. And she had her own sons. And she would sit there and tell them. It's like, well, look, yes, Jephthah might be the oldest, but you're special because you're you're a legitimate son. His mom was a prostitute. And she would tear him down in front of those other sons. And um, uh, this is is what it says in verse 2. It says, And Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. He was a picked-on kid. Jephthah had to learn to fight. They would, they would, they would call him names. They would taunt him. They would say, you are, you're not as good. You are less than. They would, they would push on him, and he would had to push back. It's how he became a mighty warrior. He learned to live by the power of his own fist and his own fury. 
They drive him out. He's finally had enough. He says, fine, I'm leaving. They drive him out, and he goes into another, the land of Tob, and it says, worthless fellows collected around him. This is the, the Bible's way of saying Jephthah became the leader of a gang. All right? That's what he did. He, he was a, the leader of a gang. Worthless fellows gather around him. Um, the, if you got a new international version, it says a... Uh, a, a band of adventurers or a group of adventurers. Uh, when a group is fighting on your side, they're adventurers. When they are on your other side, they're terrorists. These are these worthless fellows around Jephthah, right? He is, he is leading a group of men, and they fight, and they take, and that's who they are. Israel, they're figuring out, we can't deal with all these nations. We got a problem, and we need a, we need a solution. They form a search committee to find a leader, someone to lead them, and they need somebody tough, somebody fierce, somebody who can really stick it to these folks that have been sticking it to them. And they say, you know who could be that? Who's that guy? Jephthah. He's a mighty warrior. And they go to Jephthah and they ask him to lead. And Jephthah, he's like, wait a second, you didn't want me before. Why do you want me now? And this is what he says in verse seven. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? He says, I'm not interested in helping you. You didn't want me then. Why would I help you now? And they said, please, Jephthah, we need you. We will make you leader for life. And they invite him in and he agrees. Jephthah begins to lead them. Jephthah is a man who's formed by his times, but his times are not good. Jephthah is a mighty warrior. And Jephthah... Jephthah, even though he's a mighty warrior, he was a man of peace. He wasn't just interested in just simply fighting. Um, and as you read through the book of Judges in chapter 11, as Jephthah becomes, takes leadership, uh, the first thing that Jephthah does is he sends a letter to the king of the Ammonites asking, why are you fighting against us? What, what's with this aggression? Why, why the aggression? Why war? Um, and, the, and the king of the Ammonites sends the answer back to him and says, the reason is you took our land. We want it back. So Jephthah responds back to the king of the Ammonites, and he tries to reason um, the king by arguing theology and history. And, um, but, but, but the king of the Ammonites, he's got an army. He's not interested in reason or theology. Uh, he just thinks he could take what he's going to take. Jephthah not only was a man of peace, but he was a man who took God seriously. Jephthah uses the covenant name of God, Jehovah, more than anyone else in the book of Judges. Right? He took God seriously. Furthermore, we're told that the Spirit of God came upon him in Judges eleven twenty nine. Of the twelve, I can't, I'm after fingers. Of the twelve judges in the book of Judges, only four judges have that said of them. Only four of them are said that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. This is. Jephthah, he is a man formed of hard times from a place of rebellion and cruelty. He is a mighty warrior who values peace and he takes God seriously. Now here's where Jephthah falls. Judges 11, starting in verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Jephthah offers God a human sacrifice in exchange for victory. 
Now, remember, Jephthah is a man of his times, and, and his times were not good. I mean, back in that day and age, the Israelites did not keep animals in the house. So he knew that, you know, the family cat wasn't coming out of the house at that time. Also, back at that time, again, they were, he grew up in a time when they were worshiping false gods. There was a god um, named Chemosh, if I'm pronouncing it correct, that both the Ammonites and the Moabites worshipped. And worship of Chemosh required human sacrifice. These are part of the times that Jephthah grew up in. He says, I want to honor God with a human sacrifice. Besides, if you're asking God to help you and you're trying to barter with God saying, God, if you will give me this, I will give you this. You're not thinking of the family cat, right? Like, like if, I mean, I'm sure there's probably not a whole lot of you that are going to give me a whole lot for my cat, okay? Uh, so uh, he's not thinking that. He's thinking of human sacrifice. Here, God, if you'll give me sacrifice, whatever's the first thing out of my house, I'm going to offer to you as a burnt offering. Verse 32. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Aurora to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Karimim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel, and Jephthah came, home, came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Jephthah returns from battle, grateful for God's answer to his prayers, and he is ready to honor his vow. And when out from the front door comes his only child, his daughter. She was singing and swaying and doing what little girls do. She is happy and delighted. Verse 35, as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. She asked her dad for two months to mourn with her friends on account that she was not married. And Jephthah sacrifices her to God. If only Jephthah had read his scriptures, he would have known that in both the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy that God forbids human sacrifice. Leviticus 18.21 says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. In Deuteronomy 18, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughters as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets overings or a sorcerer. Who's in the word of God. Tells him not to do what he did. But remember, Jephthah was a man of his times. I mean, how much would you know about God if you had grown up the way he did? The scorned son of a prostitute. I mean, I doubt there was much Bible teaching in his home. But even if there was Bible teaching, do you, what are the chances that a, a picked on youngster is going to be paying attention? What are the chances that they are going to care enough to really dive in deep into the word of God? Jephthah believed in God. He just didn't know God. Makes you wonder, what does God think about Jephthah? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this passage of Scripture. They call it the Hall of Faith. These are, these are great men and women of faith 
from the Old Testament that says these are a cloud of witness that shows you if you would live by faith, you could do great things. God would use you. And in, Je- in Hebrews eleven thirty two, here it is. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel of the prophets. Jephthah is included in the hall of heroes, in the hall of faith. A man who offered an unnecessary sacrifice is commended for his faith. You see, that's why I tell you, you got to wrestle with this guy Jephthah. Why, why would God commend this guy? And, and what does that teach us about God? As I've wrestled with it, I think to a certain extent, God will overlook ignorance, but not unbelief. And this comes as a relief. um, For you don't need a complex, advanced degree in theology in order to be saved. A simple trusting in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, crucified on the cross for your sins and resurrected on the third day is enough to save you. You don't have to go to seminary to get that figured out. You can believe and trust in that. God will overlook ignorance, but not unbelief. See, Jephthah did not know. He was doing the best that he could. What what could he possibly know about God in the culture that he grew up in? I mean, for that matter, what do we know? We can know from the story of Jephthah that God can overlook ignorance, but ignorance can do great damage. Faith in the wrong thing can be disastrous. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, these are folks who had faith in the wrong thing. There's not going to be a bigger disaster than to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I, I never knew you. And people think they know, and they're going to have a horrible realization on that day. Strong faith and a weak theology can be disastrous. Now, some of you may be like, well, but I've, I, I got no, I'm not going to sacrifice my children. Not like that. Okay, well, let's talk about what does happen today. A um, little girl named Jessica Ann Lieberger. She was a five-week-old baby girl. Lived up in um, uh, Colorado. Jessica came down with pneumonia. Jessica's father prays for healing. And he believed that God would heal that baby based on his prayers. God does answer prayers. Even though they lived across the street from a hospital, he would not take her because he believed that God would heal her. And by faith, he was not going to take her to the hospital. Little Jessica died. Crossed the street from a place that could have helped her. He had a strong faith. A weak theology. In 2006, my wife and I, we lived through the darkest times of our life. Um, we were expecting a baby and we learned that the baby was not developing correctly and that this baby, if born, would not likely live long. We prayed for four months for God to heal him. 
And yet Isaac, he died before he could have breathed his first breath. See, Isaac had an extra chromosome that altered his development. Uh, his kind of birth defects are, are rare. Um, the doctors told us that the chances of a baby having that kind of defect is about the same as the chance of being struck by lightning. And so it just wasn't going to happen very often. It happened to us. It was a dark time for us. I yelled at God a lot during that time. This is not fair. Favorite scriptures like Psalm 19, which reads, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Those scriptures were troubling to me. Because I'd sit there and say, God, if you're doing the knitting, why is little Isaac not being knit together in such a way that will let him live? I had to wrestle with that. People would see Julie and I in hurt, and they would try to give us words of comfort. They would say things like, well, God just needs another angel. Now, I knew that was not the case. I knew that God did not need another angel. I also know that we don't become angels when we die. Um, I knew they were trying to communicate that the baby would be in heaven. But their words were really poorly chosen as they had good intentions. Um, I, I think back, what if I had been somebody who did not study the Bible? Hurting. And somebody says, well, God just needs another angel. I would have twisted that to sit there and say, you mean to tell me God doesn't have enough angels that he's got to deform my son so that he can have another angel? Are you kidding me? And I would have become really bitter and really angry and very opposed to God. Thankfully, I had read the Bible, and so a well-intentioned person wasn't going to mess with me. But you know what? A lot of people don't read the Bible. In fact, here's a reality for us. You may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. I remember people telling us things like, um, um, you must be so strong because you're going through this. They're trying to sit there and let me, tell me you're strong. And you want to carry that to its conclusion? Somebody would say, why would I ever want to be a strong Christian if I have to go through that? All right? Uh, it's, it's good intentions, but it's a poor theology. And if you speak that to a person who's hurting... It can cause some great damage. You see, God will overlook ignorance and he will commend you for your faith. But, but, but a strong faith and a weak theology can lead to a great disaster in people's lives. I uh, like when people try to say things like, um, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's not true. Ask Moses and the Israelites. They're fleeing from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's hot on their trails. They come up to the Red Sea. And they can't go back. They can't go forward. They look to the right. They got a mountain. They look to the left. They got a, a, a barren wasteland, a desert. They are stuck. They're in what's called a natural cul-de-sac. God brings them to a place where they cannot handle it. So that he can show them that he can. Ask Jonah. Jonah will tell you it's not true. God did not put Jonah in the esophagus of a fish because he can handle it. Getting digested in there for three days, his whole body is pruny. He's just the smell in there, the claustrophobia, 
And he's in there telling Jonah, are you done being boss, Jonah? He didn't put Jonah there because he can handle it. God will oftentimes give you stuff more than you can handle because he wants you to learn of his great provision and trust in him. It's just, it's just not true. But it's things that we say. I, I look around on Facebook. A lot of people's theology is just coming off of little bitty blurbs on Facebook. Way inferior to this right here. Everybody's a theologian. Everybody has a theology. We like to think that theologians are those who spend isolated time reading God's word. No, everybody's a theologian. Everybody has an idea about God. And, and we live in a day where people are not afraid to share their opinions. All right? You're a theologian. But some people get their theology from the word of God. I um I remember in 2006 we were um we were living in Stephenville but we came up to the Dallas Zoo. Seth was 2 years old. And um we took we took him to the zoo with us and uh he's at, at 2 years old everything is new and everything is fascinating. We're coming in. We haven't even gotten into the zoo and he is stopping to look at the rocks. Uh, lining the entryway. I'm come on, son. Let's go inside. He is fascinated with that with the rock. Finally, I coax him inside. He sees a brown squirrel. Fascinated with the brown squirrel, a little blackbird lights down on the ground. Oh my goodness! He is just in, enthralled by those things. At that time, I hear. The big cats, and they were roaring, all right? I mean, the lion was roaring. I mean, it was loud. It was thunderous, and I wanted to see it. You see, because my whole life growing up, I went, I would go to the zoos, and you know what the big cats did every time I went to the zoo? They're asleep. They just lay there doing nothing. It's, they're, they're one of the most boring exhibits. It's like, sometimes they're hidden. You can't even see them sleeping. And here they're roaring. I was like, Oh my gosh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's go see the big cats. Squirrel. Come on, son, they're roaring. Little bird. And it was right then and there, God decided to speak to me. And he says, you know, my child, I want to show you great things. And you've become so satisfied with the typical. Like, I wonder how many of us, our Heavenly Father, He wants to show us great things, but we found one little doctrine, one little truth, and we're just absolutely fascinated with it. There's so much more to see, but it's the one thing that we know. I, I, I lament at how often people... They, they're not interested in learning what's in the Bible. That's too hard. I mean, do you know how hard it is to get kids ready to go to church on a Sunday? Actually, I do. God gave me five of them. Um, it's, I get it. I get it. 
But, they, but we treat God's word as like, you know what? What I already know is enough. I'm content with what I already know. And the possibility of discovering more is not worth my time or effort. God's in there saying, come on, I want to show you the great things. And you're just like, but there's a little squirrel. I found a squirrel right there. What would it take for God to make you teachable again? To make you hungry? To want his word? See, the good news is, you know what? You don't have to have an advanced degree in theology and have all the answers to get into heaven. Jesus did that work. But I'm here to tell you, you may be the only Bible that somebody else ever reads. They might not ever pick it up themselves. They'll listen to you. They'll watch you. Jephthah knew God. Jephthah took God seriously. He just didn't know God. We do the same sometimes. So we can learn from him. Be the folks that says, you know what? I want to know. God, I mean, I am... I met Jesus in 1991. Here we are, 2018. He is still teaching me, still showing me. This, it's amazing how I just can't seem to exhaust what God is going to show me. And I've spent a lot of time in this book. He's got a lot to show you. Come see the big cats. Quit, uh, quit being mesmerized by the squirrel. Right? We're working here at this church to, to put together life groups and life enrichment classes and places where you can join others and open up his word. You don't even have to have a seminary professor teach you all the great stuff. You just need God's Holy Spirit and some friends. Come and learn. Join in. And let's be a good Bible that other people can read. So, Father God... I thank you for this story and this servant of yours, Jephthah. I thank you for what he teaches us about how you view our faith and why that's important to you. But Father, don't let us be content. And truthfully, God, the more I learn of you, the more I realize how little I really do know. You are a great and awesome God. So forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us for our laziness. Show us the great things. And may we be good witnesses of your grace, of your love, of your justice, of your wisdom. For there's a lot of hurt in this world. And healing really comes from you. Father, I pray for anyone here today that you are speaking to, calling them to just take steps and go deeper. God, that they would not just have a, a, a nice time learning a story that they're unfamiliar with, 
but that they would take it and that it would move them into a new place with you. I pray for them now. And Father, if there be one here today who has not taken hold of your son Jesus and trusted them, believing in him as your son, believing in his death on that cross for their sins, and in his victory over the grave by his resurrection, that you would call to them. And that they would just have with a simple faith be saved today. I ask you to speak to them. Father, thank you again for your great love and mercy to us and this wonderful word that you've given us is able to transform us. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.